0: This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Craig Cabanis, the senior pastor of Grace Church. If you would open up your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 11, uh, this has been quite a study for us as a church, and it's coming to an end. We have uh, three more messages, including today. So we'll wrap up on uh, Labor Day weekend and um, finish up the book then. It's been a a fascinating study. You can never tell what Ecclesiastes is going to say each week, what God's going to say through this book, and uh, today we're going to enter into the last two chapters and... We're going to look at a short section today. In these last two chapters, Ecclesiastes is really telling us how to live. So far in the book, he's told us how to live by sort of saying, don't do what I do. Uh, He's given us his autobiography about how he pursued all of these things in the world, and they brought him no life and no joy. And um, so don't do what I do, he kind of says. And then there's other times when he tells us how little we really know in life, so let's just trust God. But today he is uh, this passage. God is speaking to us something that is uh, well. It's about living by faith, and so let's read Ecclesiastes eleven one through six. And I'm reading this uh, from the English Standard Version. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. And at evening, withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Let's pray. Before we pray, let me just say, I'll tell you what I'm going to pray, and then then I'll pray it. Um, All of the Bible is relevant all of the time. So every verse of Scripture is always relevant to us in some way, because it's always true. Uh, It's inerrantly true. Um, but there are certain passages that just sort of hit you at a season in your life and say, wow, that was just right for me. Maybe you're going through a difficult time and, a, and you read a passage that gives you faith that God is faithful or something like that. You probably have had that experience. Well, this is a passage that I think is relevant for us at this season of our church's life. It's a passage on faith. And so I want to talk about that today and pray that God will speak to us as a family And move us forward together in what he has to say to us, I believe, in this passage. So join me in praying accordingly. Lord, we do thank you that all of your word is always true. And we're so grateful that you're a God who reveals yourself to us. For you are glorious, you're lovely, you're gracious and merciful and holy. And how we love everything we know about you from the scripture. And we just ask that you would reveal yourself more to us even today. And I pray that this would be a word in season for Grace Church. Lord, I pray that you would stretch us. I pray that you would give us great faith in a great God. I pray that you would stir us and provoke us to attempt great things for a great God, trusting in your rule and your sovereignty. So, Lord, please speak to us in all the areas of our lives today and show us the Lord Jesus Christ in his glory in this passage And Lord, have your way speaking to us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the whole book of Ecclesiastes really deals with faith. A lot of it is faith in God's sovereignty. So in other words, God rules over all, God controls all, God is uh, gracious, and we are to trust him with all the stuff that happens in our life. So that is an active faith, but it's also kind of a passive faith. It, it's it's kind of faith that trusts God no matter what he brings into our life, whatever season we're in. That Chapter 3 talks about there being different seasons of our lives. There's a time for everything. So whatever time God brings into our lives, we trust him. The passage we just read here, if I could make this comparison, is not so much a reactive or a passive faith, which is a biblical idea, but it's an active faith, which is also a biblical idea. It is... Well, it's almost an aggressive, and at times we're going to see a risk-taking type of faith. It's a passage that calls us to believe God, to take initiative, to actively trust God, to move... To move and be active, and as we're moving, trust God to have his way in our lives. That's what this passage is about, and we, we get at it, Ecclesiastes gets at it in verse 1 and 2 with sort of giving us a picture, it's a mysterious picture, where he says in verse 1, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. What is this about? If you have an English, uh, if an ESV, English Standard Version Study Bible, um, which a lot of you have, and so I usually always read it before I preach, because if I'm going to say something that it contradicts, then I'd at least like to know that people are reading and I'm teaching something, they're going, wow, my study Bible says he's wrong. So I like to usually know that uh, ahead of time, because a lot of you are looking on. Um, But in the study Bible, they, they say this, that there's three traditional interpretations about what this means. Three traditional ones. Actually, there's a fourth. As I was studying this week, I came across an Old Testament scholar, uh, and his view of the passage was that casting bread on the water is a picture of how they brewed beer in the ancient Near East. And he actually said that the passage means that in turbulent times, Ecclesiastes is recommending the brewing, production, and consumption of beer. Uh, I don't think that's what it means. Um, Ecclesiastes has been positive Uh, has a positive view, generally speaking, of wine in the book, but perhaps that scholar has been taking Ecclesiastes' advice a little too much and needs to put it down, because I I think he is not clear-headed. I don't think this is about brew your own beer when life is troublesome and drink it and uh, you're all dismissed. I I don't think that is what it is. So I'm going to take option D on the multiple choice and say I don't think that's what it is. So here's A, B, and C. A is that cast your bread on the waters is kind of a literal picture, and what it means is uh, I- um, international trade. That that Ecclesiastes is recommending that you take your, probably not your literal bread, I don't think you would take a loaf of bread and put it on the water to go sell it somewhere, it would be stale, but your grain or whatever product you have, take it across the seas, act with it, invest it, and see what God might bring back. Actually, the NIV That's their interpretation. They actually interpret the verse a little bit. They go beyond translation, I think, into interpretation. And the NIV reads this way it doesn't say, cast your bread upon the waters. It says, ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a return. That's certainly an option, but I think it's an interpretation they're making there, and not perhaps just a translation, but an interpretation. But that is one option. And certainly. Solomon, who writes a book, calls himself Koheleth uh, in the Hebrew. Ecclesiastes is the Greek, our transliteration of the Greek. The preacher he calls himself. So this author, he was a king... And uh, he did trade on the seas. You can read First Kings and see that he sh- shipped out his ships, took things to other nations, and brought stuff back. So it could mean that. It could mean, okay, what you have, your resources, literally invest them, expand, be a venture capitalist, so to speak, and see what you can invest in and what you have and see how the lord will bring it back. In other words, a modern parable might be or a modern saying might be proverb might be nothing ventured, nothing gained. So some people say it means kind of nothing ventured, nothing gained. Other people say a second option is to say well it has to do with spreading your resources broadly so you sort of wisely protect yourself. So in in verse 2 um, it says, Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what disaster might happen on earth, so what he 's talking about is whatever resources you have, sort of spread them out so that something bad happens you 're protected. You might say in the investment world, diversify your portfolio, make sure you 're invested in several things, not just in the one oil well that 's going to really make it, so when it doesn 't make it you 're broke, but make sure that you broadly invest and it 's probably not just investment advice, but it probably means in life don 't spread yourself too thin. But Make sure you're kind of broadening, um, broadening things so that you are protected in times of disaster rather than just focusing on one thing. So that's another interpretation. A third interpretation doesn't take the verb cast as central, but takes the verb in chapter 2, give as central. Give a portion to seven or even to eight. You know not what disaster may happen on earth. You know, he says, cast your bread up on the water. You'll find it after many days. So some people say it means give, invest. Take your resources and give them out broadly to seven, which is a number of completion, or beyond completion. Give above and beyond to others, and uh, you'll be protected when trouble comes. Perhaps they'll take care of you when you're in need. That could be what it means. And then it says, you know, what what happens, uh, what what you cast out there, you'll find it after many days. So that's kind of curious. What does that mean? So people may say, well, you see it in both the Old and New Testament. For instance, Proverbs 19.17 says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. So giving to the poor, the Lord will repay him. Proverbs, again, aren't guaranteed promises, but they're to be read as general observations of life. That's a general observation of life, that the person who cares for others, that God cares for them. Um, Or Jesus in Luke 6.38 says, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So this view would would emphasize, be a person who is generous with your resources, give of your resources, and what you'll find is someday, Um, something will come back your way. God provides for those uh, generously who are generous. So some people say it's give. Others say it's, you know, sort of a business picture, cast your bread upon the waters. Others say it's broadly be diversified in life. So which is it? Well, I don't think he exactly interprets it for us and tells us which it is. I think all of those have truth to them, and all of those can be found elsewhere in the Bible. I just read some verses for option three. So... It's a truth found elsewhere in the Bible, but I think when it's not definitely uh, interpreted for us, it's wise to sort of step back and say, okay, what's the general principle? What's the general principle found here that we might be able to sort of sink our teeth into and bring some application? And I think the general principle has to do with stewardship. So clearly, regardless of how you interpret it, there is the idea of you have something, You have some resources, and you should divest yourself of those resources. They might not be tangible financial resources. They could be resources of time. I don't think he's literally talking about bread here. I don't think he's literally, you know, pull up the ship... And you see guys loading, okay, there's the French, okay, there's the sourdough, okay, there's the whole wheat. Like, literally, that's what he's talking about. But bread is something that is a sustaining, you know, sort of basic necessity in life. When Jesus says, pray, you know, uh, give us this day our daily bread, he's not saying, uh, you know, I just need some sliced bread. He's saying, Lord, provide my needs. So God gives us resources, our bread, and we are to, in some way, invest those elsewhere. It's a picture of stewardship. And so I think what's best to do is take that idea and be broad with it and apply it broadly. So in our work life, let's be those, the scripture would call us, who take the opportunities and the gifts and the relationships that we have and let's invest them, let's use them, let's don't squander them and let's see what God will do. In a marriage, let's invest ourselves, let's sacrifice, let's give, let's love our spouse and see what God might do as we take our time and our abilities and we serve and love and cherish our spouse. So it could be that. Uh, It could be actually giving generously. He does use the verb give. So God has given me certain things financially. Where can I give those for kingdom business? Where can I invest in the preaching of the gospel and in ministry to others and in the care of those who have need, So that certainly could be one. How could I reach those who don't know Christ? How can I take what I have, my home, my time, My relationships, my network, where I'm located, my neighborhood, my job. How can I take whatever God's given me and then use that as a means to communicate the gospel to people that don't know him? How can I steward what God has given to me? Maybe as a student, uh, just as a reminder here, starting back to school time and uh, there's a sea of moans among the students in the room. But uh, so, but maybe that shouldn't be the attitude this year. Maybe as a student, it's, Lord, I want to take the intellectual abilities you've given me, the, the learning and classroom opportunities you've given me, and I want to say, Lord, I want to throw myself in this. I want to cast my bread upon the water and see what comes back. See what you do in my life if I really did my homework this year. See what would happen if I didn't just read the the sort of uh, cheat sheet notes, but read the whole book when it was assigned in my literature class in high school. I, I never did that, so I don't know what happens if you do that. No, I did read. But what I'm going to invest, I'm going to study, I'm going to apply myself and see what God does. So you see, we've been given certain things, let's use them, and then let's see what God does through that. It is a call to invest, a call to give what you have and trust God with The results, it's about using our resources. It's about not sitting on our resources, but look at the verbs, casting them out. It's about giving our resources. It's about investing, using, even risking them. If you take what you have and you put it on a boat and you send it out to trade, guess what? In those days, storms came and boats sank, Or you get there to the other nation, you don't send an email ahead or get on your cell phone and call, hey, how much grain do you guys need? So maybe you go somewhere else thinking they need grain, and they have grain. And so you come back with a boatload of grain with nothing else that you needed. So there is a risk in taking your bread, the NIV, shipping your grain. There is a risk in that. Um, There is a risk in giving a portion to seven, which is complete, the number beyond completion, eight, that means extravagant giving. There's a risk to divesting myself and giving my stuff because guess what? Then I don't have my stuff. So then I'm trusting in God. So it's calling us to action, to faith, to risk, to trust, to not sit on my resources, but use my resources, whatever they may be. Now, look how he continues with the idea. Verse 3. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. Now, he's making a statement here that has to do with certain... Uh, certain signs or indicators that we can observe. And we know that because look at what he says in the next verse. He who observes, he's talking about observing something, he who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. So verse 3, he's communicating some things that we can observe or see. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. God acts in ways that we don't always understand, but there's a few things we know. If we see big rain clouds, it's probably going to rain. And so you can look at that indicator and you can mark it. He says if a tree falls to the north or to the south, we may not know everything about this, but we do know this, it's not moving. That's what he says. If a tree falls, there it will lie. So there's certain things you can count on. If something's already happened, oh, the tree fell over. It's right there. I can count on the fact that the tree fell and it's going to remain there until somebody moves it. That's something you can observe and watch and know what God did. There's other things you can observe and watch and... Pretty much figure what God's going to do. There's big rain clouds here. They're probably going to dump themselves on us, and it is going to rain. So there are observable signs when it comes to this this issue of casting our bread or giving our portion. However, we need to be careful to observe signs, but not cause the signs to hinder us from acting. So he says in verse 4, He who observes the wind will not sow. And he who regards the clouds will not reap. He's talking about sowing, he's, he's, he's planting. He's talking about planting seeds and then reaping a crop or a harvest. So here's what he says. The person who really looks at the wind, if they're waiting for the right moment to, to plant their seeds, they'll never plant. You don't want it to be real windy when you're planting seeds because the seeds blow about and you get an unequal, uneven distribution of seeds. So he's saying, okay, I'm waiting for the wind. If you're always just looking at the wind, testing the signs, waiting for the right moment, okay, now we're looking for zero to two miles per hour out of the east, and you're just waiting for that moment. What he's going to say is you've only got a tight window of time to plant your seed. If you're waiting for the perfect moment, it may pass you by. He says, if you're looking at the clouds to determine when do I act, he who regards the clouds will not reap. So if I don't plant, if I'm waiting, okay, when is the cloud formation just perfect? We need the perfect amount of rain, the perfect indicator, and then I'll plant. If you're just waiting for that, you will not plant. And if you do not plant, this you can know for sure. You will not harvest a crop. And so what he's saying is you need to act by faith. You need to cast your bread. But if I put my ships out to sea, I don't have that bread anymore. Or if I invest my time, it's gone. Or if I give my money to seven or to eight, I don't have it anymore. That's a risk. But if I'm looking at all the indicators, I shouldn't take a risk, look at the clouds, look at the wind. If you don't do anything, then when everyone else is harvesting a crop, everyone who planted their their, their seed is harvesting a crop at harvest time, you're sitting on a bag of seeds. So it's a call to do something, to act. It's a call to action. It's a call to not Overanalyze. This verse right here means don't overanalyze. You've heard of the analysis paralysis. That means someone who thinks, overthinks a matter. You just look at away all your options. You're the person, or we're the person, maybe I'm this person or not, I don't know, but we're the person who has the pros and cons list for everything. And then you've got footnotes on your pros and cons list with a, with, with all the details of what could happen. And you're asking a hundred people, what do they think about your pros and cons list? And you should be out in the field casting some seed, but you're analyzing and wondering. Yes, we should ask the Lord, but you've been praying about it for five years. Yes, we should fast, but you you haven't eaten in a week and a half because you don't know. And in the meantime... You know what? The season passed. The opportunity's gone. We're past planting time. Because you were frozen. Because we don't act at the right time, and we just get stuck with a bag of seeds. Do you get the drift of this passage? Cast, that's action. Give, verse 2, that's action. Um, if I could put a verb that's not in here, but the idea is, don't overevaluate. Don't overanalyze. Get out there and sow some seed. This is about faith. It's about aggressive faith. And a lot of us need to hear this. Now, there's some of us that don't need to hear this. There's some of us who need to not have another harebrained idea and go act on it and get in trouble. You need to go find a wise person and get a little bit of counsel. You need to crack your Bible open and read and find out, is this idea even legal? Uh, But you just need to... (laughs) You know, there's some of us that are so impulsive. So if you have done a lot of impulsive things that got you into trouble, I'm not here to pour gas on your fire. There's a different verse for you. But the majority of the room, that's not the case. The majority of the room, we're a fairly conservative lot around here. I don't know if you've looked around or talked to many people, but we're not like the bleeding edge of uh, like, you know, just crazy fire breathing folk. We're, We're a pretty conservative lot. So I think. We could get pushed out a little bit on this and say, it's time to act. Time to act. Now look at verses 5 and 6, what he says. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed. And at evening, withhold not your hand. Keep sowing seed for you do not know which will prosper this or that and and whether both alike will be good. Okay, so what's he saying there? This verse five is classic Ecclesiastes. He's basically saying we don't know very much. He's saying you don't know the way of the spirit comes into the bones of the womb of a woman with child. So you don't know the work of God who makes everything. He said this throughout the whole book. Look, we know very little. He's saying, take the most basic thing, like how has life come together. Uh, you, you, don't even, you can't even explain that. Now, we can explain the biology of that, and we know more about the biology of that than Ecclesiastes did. Scientifically, we've had a lot of development. So we know a lot more now than he did there. But we still don't know this. We know life is in the womb, and, but, but we don't know how exactly how does you know, God breathe life, spirit, into a... Newly formed human in the womb. Life's clearly in the womb. The text says that. But we don't know. I mean, we know, like, Adam was made out of the dust, and Eve was made out of Adam. So we get that first creation. But the one then, there's some mystery there of how does God We're fearfully and wonderfully made, the psalm says. But, okay, how does he do all that? He's saying that's the most basic thing is life, and we don't even understand all that God does there. God makes everything. We do not know the work of God, but we know that He makes everything. It's a mystery. God, The ways of God are a mystery. However, don't allow that mystery to freeze you. Get out there and sow some seed. This is amazing. He says, look, the, God's sovereignty and how He acts is a huge mystery. Verse 5, verse 6, in the morning sow your seed. So don't allow the mystery of what God is going to do or what He's not going to do to cause you not to act. Some of us can get frozen because we don't know what the Lord might do. Guess what? He's not going to tell you what he's going to do. That's the whole thing. He says, "Sow your seed in the morning, sow your seed at night. You don't know where the crop's going to come up. You don't know where it's going to be prosperous. Maybe it's going to be good over here. Maybe both places it's going to be good. That's what he says in verse six. You don't know. So don't allow the mystery of I don't know to keep me frozen in inaction, frozen in, you know, failure to take a step forward. Get out there and sow your seed. Now." Here's why I think, he doesn't say this, I'm going to speculate a little bit, but I think it's a very reasonable speculation. I think it's pretty good speculation. Okay, here's why, that, that, no, that wasn't good, I shouldn't have said that. But here's why, and I think this is in this part of the book, in chapter 11. Because for ten chapters, this is what Ecclesiastes has said. He has warned us against self-effort. He has warned us against self-reliance. He has warned us against self-sufficiency. Here's what he said. I went out there and did everything. I had more gardens, more houses, more women, more arts, more slaves and people under my power than any of you folks. And I knew more. I was wiser than any of you. If we took everyone's accomplishments in the room and stacked them all together, they would pale. They would not compare to Solomon's. If we took all of our houses and all of our gross income together, it would not compare to Solomon's. He accomplished a tremendous amount. And yet he says, with all my ambition and all my accomplishments, it was a vapor. Okay. That's one thing he says. Second thing he says is God's in control. And actually the world is crazy sometimes because righteous people, it looks like they're punished for their righteousness and wicked people. It looks like they prosper for their wickedness. God's going to do what God's going to do. That's what he says. So if you read that for ten chapters, you know what a very natural conclusion is? If I go out and accomplish a bunch, I'm not going to be happy about it. God's going to do what God's going to do. And so I just freeze up and do nothing. And that's why in chapter 11 he says, cast your bread. Yes, God is sovereign. Yes, there's no joy in human-based, human accomplishment for your glory, but God is going to do tremendous things. God gives the gift of joy so that we can enjoy even our work and all that we accomplish. So sow some seed. Cast your bread. Get active. Do something. Solomon is not a hyper-Calvinist. Solomon is saying, don't be a hyper-Calvinist. What's a hyper-Calvinist? That's a person who says, well, God's going to do what he's going to do, so it doesn't matter what I do. If God is going to act as he wants, then my actions make no difference. Solomon says no. For ten chapters, more importantly, God says no. For ten chapters, he says God is sovereign. He rules. He does what he wants. So get busy. That's what he says. The fact that God is sovereign doesn't mean I should do nothing. It means I should sow seed. Well, God's going to save who who he wants to save. So get out there and witness is what he says. God is going to do what he's going to do. So why pray? No, pray. Invest. Cast your seed. That, the, the sovereignty of God does not cause us to be inactive. It is to spur on our activity because you don't know where he's going to act. You sow the seed and you don't know what he's going to bring up. That's verse 6. So it's a passage about activity. And I think he had to put this here. God puts this here so that it gives us sort of a balanced view of God's sovereignty and human responsibility. And if we can just be frank here, if we believe in God's sovereignty, which I do, and believe it like the Bible teaches it, and and I, I hold to what might be called the reformed view of understanding of the Scripture. If you don't know what that is, that's okay. It just means that God's really in control, basically, is what I mean by that. Let's just acknowledge that anybody who believes that, like I do, there is a temptation to inactivity at points. There shouldn't be. It's not in the Bible. I'm not saying the Bible is that way, but I'm saying we can say, oh, well... Does it really matter what I do? And we might not even think it that clearly, but we can just see there's inertia in our life because we're not thinking, God calls me to cast my bread up on the water, to invest, to give, to act, to sow seed, morning and night sowing seed. And so we're going to be careful that we don't take a truth of God and believe it in an imbalanced way. God's going to do what He wants to do, so it doesn't matter what I do. On the other hand, we don't want to be over here and say, well, God's limited by what I do, so I better help God out. If I don't get out here and do this, that, and the other then it's going to limit what God can do. Well, no, that's, that's, that's too much emphasis on human responsibility. The goal is God is sovereign, so get busy. That's what this passage, that's what this book teaches us. Get busy. Now, when we say that, are we talking about our work and minimizing the work of Christ? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Jesus comes. He lives a perfect life. He dies for sinners. He's buried. He's raised on the third day. He ascends to the right hand of the Father. And those of us who put our faith in Jesus and believe that he died for our sins, we have our sins forgiven. And we receive a new life. And now that we have a new life, we're to live that life for the glory of our Lord, Jesus Christ. And so we want to live a life, we're not living a life of obedience so that he accepts us. He already accepts us. God the Father already accepts us. Because we're in Christ. We're connected to Him if we believe in Him. So God's already accepted us. We're not, getting, we're not doing works so that He'll welcome us. He's already welcomed us. He already loved us. He already accepted us. And so now we want to live for Him and please Him. So we want to act in a way obeying His Scripture and seeing what He will do, what He will produce, what He will do in us and through us. So it's in light of the work of Christ... Because we want to bring him great glory, that we use our resources. We don't use our resources to please him as if to win his favor. We use our resources because he's showered us with favor and given us a ton of resources. So we use them for his glory. Okay, I want to make two applications for us here. One is for all of us. This is a church-wide little word to us as a church. And then secondly, I want to make an application for you personally. Did he mean me? Yeah, I meant you. For you personally. So this first one's corporate, and then individual. I want to talk a minute about our church and our history. I've been thinking a lot about our church, and we have as pastors, we're coming up on our seventh anniversary, which is kind of an exciting time for us. And uh, as I've been thinking about our church, I thought our church was birthed with this mindset. And maybe you're new here and don't know the history of the church, but our church was birthed with Ecclesiastes 11, 1 through 6 mindset. A cast your seed, take a risk. That that is that was in the original DNA of our church plant. Here's what happened. When this church began, and I'm going to talk about the church planting team, I'm not going to talk about myself. I'm going to pull myself out of it and talk about the church planting team and honor them for the risk they took because they took more risks than I did. So this isn't, I'm not patting myself on the back here. I'm, I'm, I just want to thank God for the team that helped plant this church. We had 15 plus, I don't remember the exact number, but more than 15 a few more maybe, uh, households of people that relocated from other parts of the country and moved here to start a church. So they left their extended family. Many of them said goodbye to grandma, packed up the grandkids, got in the car and drove. They said goodbye to their jobs. Some people moved here and didn't have a job. They weren't on the staff of the church. I was. That's why they took more risks than I did. So they came and they, 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 were, they found jobs. They found homes. It was crazy. It was crazy crazy that folks would step out and feel called by God to do something like that. So these are folks who weren't like sitting on their bag of seed. These are folks that I'm going to cast. I'm going to invest whatever I got. I'm going to take my resources and I'm just going to invest them out there, risk them for God. The church is not a sure thing. It's not an established church. There's no building. There's no history. We didn't when most people moved here, we didn't even have a meeting place. We didn't even have a lease on a meeting place yet. So there's no guarantees here. And uh, people are, are just going for it. And I remember those early days that I'm sure I have a romantic notion. I'm sure I've forgotten some of the problems and they were there. And i maybe just kind of forgotten about them. But there was a lot of joy in that season. Because when you do something that crazy, when you relocate to help a church get started and you're casting your seed, you're just on board. You're invested. You're all in. It wasn't like, hey, we kind of need somebody to stack some chairs. Oh, man, really? I mean, these people moved across the country. I mean, when it came Wednesday night for small group, nobody's saying, oh, wow, Wednesday night small group, I've got to walk my fish tonight, I've got to do my hair, I th- you know, I've got to do my nails. They're saying, I'm there and probably early. I moved across the country. I could have watched TV at my old house. I, I don't want to sit and watch TV. I'm coming to the small group. We're having an outreach. I'm there. That's why I came. And I just remember days where we were always inviting people. Always inviting people. We're at the restaurant. We're always inviting the person. We're meeting our neighbors. Hey, those were the prayer reports. I met my new neighbors. I'm reaching out to them. I'm serving them. I shared the gospel. I invited them to church. I'm babysitting their kids. I've got a new job. I'm meeting my coworkers. And and life was ablaze with opportunity. Everybody's walking around with a bag of seed and just scattering it. New job, I'm scattering some seed. New neighborhood, I'm scattering some seed. Inviting some people, coming to church. There was this sense of just sort of scattering seed to see what God might do. And there's this exciting thing that the ships went out, and so now the grain's gone, and we're just waiting to see what God will bring back. So that's what we're doing, scattering seed and seeing what God would do. And I'm very grateful for those folks. I mean, we're all here today, um, humanly speaking, because of their investment. A lot of them are still here. Some have moved on. But regardless, we're deeply grateful for their investment and the fact that they had a faith to cast their bread upon the water because we're here benefiting from what they did today. But here's what can happen in an individual life. This is what can happen in every church plant. I don't think our church plant was unusual. I think every church plant starts with tons of faith um, or dies. If it doesn't, it doesn't stick around. You don't hear about it. But here's here's what happened. It can happen to any of our lives. So you're casting a lot of seed. And it's just very, very exciting. And then all of a sudden, a crop starts to come. And you start to go harvest the crop and bring it in and take care of it and, you know, work it, whatever you're doing with your crop, preparing it. And then all of a sudden, maybe you're not casting as much seed. You're kind of like holding your bag of seed and occasionally sort of tossing some out. I mean, there's occasionally the job you get in your new job, you get in your new neighborhood, you meet the people around you and find out, you know what, they sinners just like where I came from. Now, if you came from the north, you'll find out there are a lot more polite and nice sinners here, uh than rude folks from the north. But but they're sinners just the same, and I'm a sinner and displaying my attitude right there and just demonstrating the proving proving arrogance, southern Texas arrogance. But um so you find out, yeah, people here are sinners too. And yeah, this is really exciting, but we got some new people coming and the church is getting some traction and you know, it's not that radically different from any other church I've been in and It's all of a sudden I'm just tossing a little bit of seed. And then life gets busy. Man, the kids are, lots going on with the kids and lots going on. Man, my work, I didn't know when I got this job, it was going to be this busy. I was going to have to travel and they were going to do this. And, well, I didn't know, I didn't know I was going to get sick when I came here. We had a lot of health problems early on in the life of the church plant and people got sick and different things. And so then you just sort of, life's busy and you just sort of take your bag of seed and kind of roll it up and put a chip clip on the top of it and say, we'll come back and cast some seed. It's coming, kids get a little older, I get a break, we'll cast a little more seed. And then what happens is guy life gets going and you just I just, we just you just sort of lose vision and maybe the bag just sort of falls over on the ground. Then before you know it, you're sitting on the bag. You're just kinda of sitting on the bag of seed. It's called a lazy boy, and you got a plate of nachos in your lap, and you got the remote. And we're just, wow, it used to be this wasn't so interesting to me. I couldn't wait to get with the people of God. I couldn't wait to have a lost person over for dinner. But what's on tonight? I'm not bagging on TV here in and of itself as if it's the devil or something. I don't believe that. But, I, but you get what I'm saying. I, I'm saying that it's just easy to go from casting seed to sort of getting busy, and that can happen to any of us. That happens to almost every church plant. If you read about church plant, there's a cycle where you go through what I've just described, and finally everything gets settled. And sometimes there's markers in the life of a church where you could say, this is a marker where we saw that we just got a little comfortable. If I could be honest just for a minute, just sort of between us here. That's not really true. I said it in the first service, too. So between them and you, um, and anybody who gets the podcast, so it's really not that private, I guess, now that I think about it. But... Um, I, can, I think we can almost mark a time when life began to get a little more comfortable around here. It was two and a half years ago when we moved into this building. And I love buildings. We're planning on building another one in the heart of Frisco Square. I love it. It's great, great tool. What a gift from the Lord. This is a gift from the Lord as a tool for us to meet. But something shifted because what happened was, Everybody was on board. Everybody had to get there early and set everything up, unload all the sound gear. We met in an elementary school auditorium, so it's not very appealing. You've got these small, it's appealing, I suppose, if you're seven, but these small plastic chairs that everybody's sitting in and juniors' artwork. I mean, we didn't have anything like this. It's just like kids' artwork all over the place and no children's ministry classrooms. We piled all the kids in the gym. Oh, boy, there's some nice sound barriers in there between classrooms, separated by curtains. And so you just got the fifth graders and the screaming two-year-old in the same gym. And we got some kids out in a hallway. And it's just not easy. It's not impressive. You're not really proud to invite your neighbor. Wait till you see this facility. Well, I'm like, this kind of looks like a school. Well, it is. But, uh, and, you know, so if you came and visited, if you stayed around, you're investing because there's not a lot being given to you. You want to stick around? Stack some chairs. That's what we got to offer you. We've got chairs that need to be stacked. We don't stack these chairs. They just stay here. Occasionally we do. They just sort of stay here. And so what happens is you sort of settle down and we get something. We put down some roots and then it's just easy to slow down and forget about where am I casting my bread? Where am I giving? Am I still sowing the same amount of seed that I've always Sown and am I am I sowing it broadly to seven or even eight places? I don't know if you listened to the announcements today. I hope you did. But um, if you've been around this summer, one thing you may have picked up is that we have felt stirred to sort of go back to sort of. If I could use a super cheesy analogy, would you allow me to do that? We've sort of been feeling like we need to get the eye of the tiger cue the music. No, just joking. We're not cueing the music. That we need to go back. And so one of the things we did was we said, we looked at Rob's gifts and his life and we said, this guy's a pastor for sure. Um, But this guy's also an evangelist. He's got a rare combination of being a pastor and an evangelist both. What would happen if we just turned him loose in his gifts and allowed him and charged him to sort of come up with a job description that would maximize those gifts. That's what we've done this summer. We've been working. We're doing it again this week, working on job description. What's everybody's responsibilities? We said, Rob, what if we had Rob, and we said, Rob, use your gifts and lead, equip, empower, facilitate, organize, oversee the administration of, provide opportunities for Grace Church to go cast some seed. Some of us forgot what it's like. Would you help us to cast some seed? And so that's what he's been doing. And so there have been broad opportunities. It feels like the church plant. Yesterday, I was out at the car wash, Thank you, Jeff Hackelmazian, who oversaw that and administrated, did a great job. A step of faith. He didn't know who was going to show up uh, because people like me didn't sign up on the city. We just showed up. So uh, he was pleasantly surprised that people showed up more than we had more more tons of people. So people showed up. We had cars coming in. And I thought, this reminds me. This is I wanted to hear the eye of the tiger music. This is like the early days when we didn't have anything. As a church, we didn't have a building. We didn't have a people. We said, we got to get out and meet people. Let's go wash some cars. Let's meet people. Let's tell them about Jesus. Let's invite them to church. Let's just get out. We could sit at home on Saturday, or we could go out and do something. Let's do something. That's cast the seed. That's what he's saying. Cast your seed in seven or eight different places. You don't know. He literally says, you don't know where seeds, where crops going to come up. You cast your seed in the morning. You cast your seed at night, and you see what God will do. So listen, we don't have a vision that reached the nations with every car being cleaned by the people. This isn't our whole evangelism strategy. It's just a way to cast some seed. Maybe you talk to one person that hears the gospel, and you don't know what what happens with that. Rob's helped us do a lot of different things this summer. We set up block parties. Why? Because the Bible teaches that block parties are the way to reach the world. No, we don't have a verse on that. But where can we love people and invite them into our lives and serve them and bless them and laugh and get to know them and build a relationship and reach out to them? It's just casting some seed. It's sowing some seed. It's saying, we got some resources, we got some time, we got a bounce house, we got some people. Let's put it in the boat and ship it out and see what happens. That's why we had a Fourth of July party. That's why we're going with some friends to the, as a church to the game next week. So we're on a guest Sunday. That's why we're doing the bridge course. Listen, we're not putting all our eggs in one basket on the bridge course. We're not saying we have finally found the key. There's one way to reach people and we know it. It's the bridge course. We're not saying that. We're saying this is a way to cast some seed. He says seven or eight. He says, do everything you can and then some. So let's kid people in a room. Let's feed them a dinner. Let's teach them. Let's see how that goes. Let's send some people. We've sent some people. Let's send some people to Namibia, to Haiti. Let's send some people, to Z- people just got back from Zambia. Let's go cast some seed. We're supporting a church plant in Round Rock, Texas. The Sovereign Grace is planting and we're supporting that it will be planted next year. Let's cast some seed down at the Capitol. Let's cast some seed across the world. Let's cast some seed in the parking lot at Marketplace. And wash some people's cars. Let's cast some seed at your place of employment. Let's cast some seed on your block in your neighborhood. Let's cast some seed among your extended family and my extended family. We don't know what God will do. But let's just sow, 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 sow broadly. I love that uh, the the commentary we've been working through and that we've had out there is by Phil Riken. And uh, Phil Reichen is not an evangelist. If you have the book and have been going through, he, he may be evangelistic, I don't know, but he's a pastor. He's a intellectual. He is, now he's a college president. He's president of. Uh Wheaton College. But when he wrote that commentary, he was a Presbyterian pastor. And when he came to this passage, I love what he said. If it was an evangelist, I would have said, okay, every verse is about sharing your faith to an evangelist. So I might've taken it with a grain of salt, but he is a pastor who probably, I don't know this for a fact, but probably preaches in a robe kind of a guy, formal guy, you know, smart guy. And uh, this is what he said about this passage of scripture. When he came to it, this is what he said. It means you can, there it is. He said, this passage, it is about having the holy boldness to do seven or even eight things to spread the gospel and then waiting for God's ship to come in. Some of the things that we attempt may fail or at least seem to fail at the time. Some of the ministries we start, for example, or the churches we plant or the efforts we make to share the good news of the cross and empty tomb. But we should never stop investing with the gospel in as many places as we can. Whenever we engage in kingdom enterprises, we offer the Holy Spirit something He can and often will use to save people's souls. It is about getting off the bag of seed, standing up, reopening it or opening it for the first time, and reaching in and starting to sow some seed in the morning and at night as broadly as we can to see what God will bring up in all the areas of our lives. And I am so grateful for you, Rob, and your efforts, your example, and the way you're really leading out so that we got a whole list of things for the next month. I love that. But our hope cannot be in Rob. I mean, Rob is great, but that's also not our strategy. How are you reaching the region? Rob. I mean, I, I love Rob. But Rob isn't here to do it all. If Rob leads his whole block to Christ, that's great. I hope he does. But he's here to facilitate. He's sort of setting up the room so that we can bring the people to the table. He's sort of equipping us, teaching us. going to be doing a lot of things in the next year, um, some of which we haven't even talked about yet, that, that just sort of get us sent out on the mission, get us aware of what we're to be giving ourselves to. So it's us. We all have a bag of seed. We don't want to be saying, Rob's got a bag of seed. Go, Rob! We want to be getting our own bag of seed and sowing, 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 all of us as a people. And I think this is a season for us to re reconsider that. I mean, I came just shy of talking about a replant. I, I almost feel like that's where we are right now, that God is shaking us up and sending us out to see what he is going to do. That's for all of us. How about you and me personally? Well, where is God calling you to Invest. What's, what resources has God given you? Jesus told the story. I think in, it's Luke 19. I think it's the New Testament version of this passage. And Jesus tells the story in Luke 19. He said he gave... Uh, a guy went to receive a kingdom and left uh, some people behind, and he gave them ten minas. Minas was money. It was a, like a mina. was like three, three months' wages. So this guy, this king who is Jesus in the parable, he gives 10 minus to the first guy, five minus to the second guy, one minus to the third guy. He leaves and comes back and says, what happened with the resources I gave you? The guy with 10 minus says, I invested what you gave me. I used it. I cast my bread upon the water. I sowed my seed. I gave my portion to seven or eight. You get the idea. I used the resources you gave me, and I have 10 more minus. I doubled the investment, which could have been his time, his abilities, his talents, or his physical resources, his money. Who knows? But it's just what he had. It's about stewardship. Jesus says, wonderful. You know, I'm giving you increased responsibility. Same thing with the guy. I gave five minus. I invested it all. I have five. Five more. Used it all. Wonderful. Great job. Well done. Giving you more responsibility. Comes the guy who was given the one mina. What did you do with your mina? He said, I buried it. I buried it. I, di- I didn't do anything. And the response in the parable is astounding because Jesus doesn't say to the guy, well, oh, it's no problem. I know you're busy. I mean, I know a lot's going on. You, 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 life is really busy, so I can tell. I, I sort of get that. That does happen some, sometimes. Um, oh, you forgot. Hey, we're all human. You had other things to do. You're chasing other dreams. I get it. No big deal. That's not what he says. He says to the one who buried his mina, he calls him a wicked servant. I read that this week and I was just stung. It's not a matter of busyness. It's, Well, frankly, it can be a matter of wickedness. That's the passage here. It's what has God given me? How can I invest it? And what will God do? This is what Ryken said in his commentary, and this is very memorable because it rhymes. I don't know if he meant it to rhyme, but it rhymes. He said this, what God will do, you never know. But you will never reap if you never sow. What God will do, you never know, but you will never reap if you never sow. If we cast the seed of our lives, if we cast our seed, sow our seed, send our ships out, we don't know what will come back. But we know this for a fact. If we don't plant our seed, there's no harvest. So what's God calling us individually to do? I don't know for you. We're all at different places, but I think God's calling us to steward what we have and invest what we have for His glory. So it could be a relationship for you. Maybe God's calling you to invest in a relationship in some way. What are you going to do to invest in that person? Maybe God's calling you to freshly invest in your marriage. And so what God is calling you to do is focus and give of yourself and see what He will do. Maybe you're not married, but you want to be. Maybe you're a single guy in the room. And. What is God calling you to do? He's calling. Maybe there's a godly woman that you are interested in. You're ready and you're interested in a godly woman. You're a single guy. Maybe the word to you is go for it. Take initiative. Now, if you're 13, uh, you know, do not go tell your parents that Pastor Craig said you need a girlfriend. That's what the Bible said. I'm not saying that. If you're 13, do your homework. Okay, if you're 13, do your homework. Don't worry about girls. But if you're ready, okay, if you're an adult guy and you're ready, it, God may be calling you, hey, you've got to, you've got to sow some seed. I, I'm not talking about go check out seven or eight girls. I'm not being literal here with that. But you've got to plant. You've got to plant. you got to put, uh, cast your bread on the water. You've got, to, you've got to act. You've got to ask. You've got to say something. You've got to let your intentions be made known. Maybe that's you. Maybe there's a coworker God's calling you to reach out to. Now is the time. See, what we can do is test the wind, look at the clouds. Is now the right time? Did I, does that, what should I say? Or I'll know when the time is right. And, no, I don't think so. I mean, there, God does open doors and we need to walk through them. But I think the goal is just get out there and sow some seed and God will make some of it come up and some of it won't. That's up to him. It's just sowing our seed, someone we're reaching out to. Maybe it's an area of your work life where you've just been laid back. You've just been sitting on the seed, and you're not using your gifts. You're not using your abilities, and God is calling you to take it seriously and work hard and invest in your job in a serious way. And see what he might do to be a Christian witness so that you're diligent. Not that you're a workaholic, married to your job, living for the glory of your job, but you're a faithful employee working hard and see what God might do. See what promotion or additional responsibility he might have for you if that is ready. Get ready. Volunteer for something. Seek to, seek to, to work for the glory of God. Maybe God's calling you to use your gifts in some creative outreach. As I was preparing this, I just wondered, even if there wouldn't be some moms, that, that God is calling you to use creatively some ability or gifts you have to reach out to other, other ladies, perhaps. Now, you've got a very important responsibility. If you've got children, that is your primary responsibility. That is an important responsibility. And if your plate is full with that, then that is your place of investment. You invest in your children, you love them, you, you sow seed into their life, you cast your bread there. But I, I felt like there might be some women where there's some additional bandwidth. You've got a little bit, your shoulders, there's a little bit room, more room on your shoulders. You, 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 you're, you're, you're up for air, you don't have to come up for air, you're up. And you could do a little bit more than what God's got you doing right now. And maybe God's calling you somehow to be creative, and how could you sow seed beyond your own home place, your own home, while primarily investing in your home. What might there be? What God will do, you never know. But you will never reap if you never sow. Cast your bread on the waters. Give a portion to seven or even to eight. Don't over-evaluate. Look at the signs and then act in faith, in the morning sow your seed, verse 6, and in the evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper. This or that, or whether both alike, will be good. We all got a bag of seed. It's your time, it's your talents, it's your treasures, it's your gifts, it's your abilities, it's your relationships, it's your connections, it's your neighborhood, it's your job. It's the person you run into at the store, it's your family, it's your spouse, it's your children, it's your parents, it's your extended relatives. We've all got all this stuff, this big bag of opportunity, and the Lord wants us to sow seed and invest and see what You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.org.